Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. It's, it's complicated. <laughs> Part of the equation to getting elected is you've got, you can't be too extreme. I think that those lawsuits will be filed instantaneously. Revenue loss from hypothetical children that might be born? Yeah, I mean, I guess, for example, if somebody had an abortion and decided not to, and that child ended up becoming a trillionaire, maybe they, they could, they could give billions of dollars to the state. But again, how how can you possibly predict that? When the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June 2022, the state of Missouri was among the first in the country that made abortion legal by way of what's known as a trigger law in almost all circumstances. Since then, abortion rights supporters have been making moves toward legalizing the medical procedure in the Show Me State. Those supporters scored a legal victory last week after the Missouri Supreme Court declined to take up cases regarding ballot summaries and costs for initiative petitions that would put legalization of abortion in front of Missouri voters. Joining us now to get us up to speed on what's happened is St. Louis Public Radio's politics correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Jason, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. So the Missouri Supreme Court's declining to hear these cases now sets the stage for abortion rights proponents to gather signatures needed to put an initiative petition on the ballot. Why is that, Jason? Because uh, when the Supreme Court of Missouri declined to hear an appeal from Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft over how voters see a description of the initiative on the ballot, it basically meant that a lower court ruling that was favorable to abortion rights proponents uh, was set in stone, and there's really no more legal cases to take. Mm -hmm. So because of that, uh, the proponents of these initiatives pretty much have free reign to gather signatures if they want to. Mm -hmm. And it's quite a number of proposals, wasn't it? It was 11. Mm -hmm. And um, it was 11 because they are very different from each other. Um, Some of them uh, would legalize abortion up to 24 weeks of pregnancy, others uh, ha- up until fetal viability. And there's one that does not have a gestational limit at all. Um, and that actually is uh, preferred by a lot of people within the abortion rights movement, including officials with, with Planned Parenthood have said that they, that I've talked with, and, um, said that they really are not inclined to enthusiastically support any initiatives that have restrictions on it, and they would prefer one ones with without them, which is the one without the gestational limit. Mm-hmm. And so that is really what the objection was on the part of Ashcroft. Ashcroft's, it, it, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> with a lot of ballot item legal fights, it's, it's often difficult to explain, but I'll try my best. So Ashcroft is responsible for writing a summary of ballot items that get submitted to his office. He wrote summaries for all 11 initiatives. 
And the proponents of these initiatives thought that the way that he wrote them were prejudicial, unfair, and they sued. And basically, the proponents of these initiatives won because the rewritten summary is much more favorable than what Ashcroft wrote. And when I say favorable, the way these initiatives that are, are described are very important to whether they pass or not, because oftentimes people go into the ballot box. I was about to say they go into the ballot box. The ballot <laughs> booth is more more accurate. They see a description of these uh, initiative petitions, and they usually decide right then and there how to vote. So an unfavorable ballot summary could doom some of these initiatives, even if they get enough signatures. Mm-hmm. Insofar as that ballot language is concerned, Jason, can you give us a sense of something that Secretary Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft wrote versus what judges with the lower courts wrote? Yeah. Like, for example, he said that some of the initiatives would legalize abortion from the moment of conception up to live birth and also said it would repeal some of the statutes uh, related to right to life. Mm-hmm. Um, the proponent, uh, Ashcroft has said, like, he feels this is an accurate way in his view of describing these initiatives. The proponents of these initiatives have said these are wildly prejudicial ways to describe these initiatives. And using terms like right to life in it, in and it of itself is kind of prejudicial. So the judges agreed with the abortion rights proponents. And I don't have all the ballot summaries in front of me, but it changed it to would repeal the state's abortion ban, would allow abortion up until like 24 weeks, or one of them says that there's no gestational limit on abortion, things like that. Things that could still prompt people to vote against it, but just mm-hmm. not not that type of language. Right. So before we move on from that point, Some of the other news last week involved the Missouri Supreme Court's declining to hear a challenge to state auditor Scott Fitzpatrick's fiscal note. What's that all about, Jason? That that is a very interesting intra-party conflict that was was initially between Fitzpatrick and Attorney General Andrew Bailey. Bailey had said that Fitzpatrick's summary of these initiatives, which basically said that they would likely not cost the state that much, uh, was wrong. And he was arguing that it could cost the state billions of dollars uh, because, in his view, it could jeopardize Medicaid funding. Or if you extrapolate the amount of money, tax money, that could be gained if abortions didn't happen, it, it could be go into the billions of dollars. Fitzpatrick has said that no agency said that Medicaid uh, funding would be jeopardized, and that other hypothetical is so impossible to really gauge that it's not even worth considering. The thing is, like Fitzpatrick won that case against Bailey, but it, the courts did say that other people could sue over it, and we actually had two state legislators, uh, Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman and Representative Hannah Kelly, and also another person, um, file a, another lawsuit basically arguing that the fiscal note under underplayed how much this would cost. And that ended up not being successful either. So mm-hmm. that whole situation is resolved, at least for these initiatives. Mm-hmm. And the thing that really stood out was like, that revenue loss from hypothetical children that might be born. Yeah, I mean, I guess, for example, if somebody had an abortion and decided not to, and that child ended up becoming a trillionaire, maybe they, they could, they could, 
give billions of dollars to the state. But again, how how can you possibly predict that? Like that would there are so many things that go through a, a person's life to get them to being a, a trillionaire that there's no real way to predict it in a in a fiscal note. Right. Now you did note Scott Fitzpatrick and Andrew Bailey, they're both Republicans. Did their disagreement create any discernible rifts within the GOP ranks? I, I mean, certainly there was a rift between them because they went to court over this. And I feel like it's a pretty unusual thing for two statewide officials who are both Republicans to disagree over something. But Fitzpatrick has argued this was a bigger question than just abortion. This was about the, the auditor's authority to estimate how these initiative petitions, how much they cost. And he was arguing that it's it's his office that has this authority, not the attorney general's office. The attorney general's office does not have a veto. And ultimately, the Supreme Court agreed with uh, uh, Auditor Fitzpatrick. But it did allow people like uh, Senator Coleman, Representative Kelly to sue as citizens, which is still allowed. And I think that in many respects, that's probably the way it's going to continue into the future. Mm -hmm. We're talking with Jason Rosenbaum, politics correspondent for St. Louis Public Radio and the host of the Politically Speaking Hour edition of this show. The Missouri Women and Family Research Fund. Um, You had talked earlier about Missourians for Constitutional Freedom. They filed 11 proposals should repeal the state's abortion ban. Missouri Women and Family Research Fund has also filed and it's six initiatives that would allow for abortion in the cases of rape, incest, fatal fetal abnormalities or risks to health or safety of a mother. Several would also allow abortions up to 12 weeks of pregnancy. And you know, as we've heard from your politically speaking interview with the group's executive director, What's going on with the petitions from this particular organization? So um, the the executive director of that group, Jamie Corley, announced I, – I don't – I think it was actually er, – it was earlier this month, what is time, obviously, <laughs> that they had actually decided on a petition to gather signatures for, which is everything you mentioned as well as 12 weeks of pregnancy um, – And they're also challenging the ballot summary from Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft, but they've made the decision to circulate petitions with a summary they feel is unfavorable with the hopes that a court will eventually rewrite it. And I think that they would be able to retain their signatures according to the the group's attorney. What I think is notable about this initiative is, number one, Jamie Corley is a Republican, and there is some interestingness or novelty of a Republican trying to legalize abortion, but also these initiatives are much more modest than what we were just talking about before, Mm -hmm. the Missourians for Constitutional Freedom. And her view is Missouri is a Republican state. It has a lot of conservative voters who are uncomfortable with the idea of abortion, but she's banking on the idea that they would support a incremental scale back of the of the um, abortion ban. And I think you, she would also make the argument that some of the things that are in this initiative are not necessarily incremental, especially if they're dealing with like the health safety of the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is not as it is. Nobody denies even even Corley that it's not as expansive as the the 11 we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, you also spoke with pollster Christine Matthews about how an overwhelming number of Missouri voters, when it comes to abortion, 
approve exceptions for rape, incest, and life of health of the mother we were just talked about too. She, she lamented, that is, that GOP lawmakers who are opposed to exceptions are out of touch with the electorate. State legislative districts are generally highly gerrymandered. And what is happening is we're now being very sorted um, into very red districts or very blue districts. There are very few districts, state legislative districts, that are, you know, super competitive. They tend to be around, you know, the suburbs. And so when you are a state legislator, likely what you are looking at is a Republican primary challenge versus having to appeal to voters statewide to win a general election. So sort of by definition, anyone running statewide, even in a state as red as Missouri, part of the equation to getting elected is you've got, you can't be too extreme. You've got to be able to appeal to independents or, you know, and state legislators tend to not have to. They, they live in such gerrymandered, you know, districts that it's really just a primary challenge that they're worried about. And their political uh, positions sort of reflect that. That's pollster Christine Matthews. Jason, to what extent are Missouri politicians out of touch with Missouri's voters when it comes to abortion? I think we're going to find out if this initiative makes the ballot. Um, I think we've seen in other states like Kentucky where um, Democrats in particular were really honing in on Republicans' opposition to creating exceptions for an abortion ban for people who become uh, pregnant because of rape or incest. They could point to that and say, well, in Kentucky, Democrats won the governorship. Uh, I will say, though, that like some of the lawmakers that have expressed opposition to any exceptions, they some of them are, have run in somewhat competitive districts, like uh, Senator Andrew Koenig of, of St. Louis County, and he still won re-election. So it's not absolute. And I would not say the 15th district is horribly gerrymandered as other ones are. But I think we're just going to have to see um, if that type of strategy works, because I can also imagine that if somebody like Secretary of State Ashcroft becomes the nominee for governor, and he also is opposed to repealing the state abortion ban, that could be an issue that's used against him. And if he ends up winning election, that could be a counter argument that it's so unpopular causes him to lose. Mm -hmm. Now, there are two issues related to timing, time lost and timing of when people could actually vote whether to legalize abortion. Starting with time lost, here's Mallory Schwartz of Abortion Action Missouri reacting to last week's victory, again, when the Missouri Supreme Court declined to hear Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft's challenge to ballot language. The Missouri Supreme Court has upheld the people's democratic right to a fair initiative petition process and their right to make their voices heard to demand access to abortion. I think what's tough is Ashcroft has intentionally sabotaged this process over the past nine months. Now, due to his actions, any campaign is left to evaluate the damage and see what is possible to move forward on on this timeline that should have been done six months ago. So abortion proponents need to collect about 171,000 signatures to get the petition on the ballot. How does that process work, Jason? It works when the proponents get a lot of money. They hire signature gatherers and they 
try the best they can to get a certain amount of signatures. Also, not only do you need that amount of signatures, they have to be a certain amount in six congressional districts. They're going to have to come up with a – when we're the Missourian, Missourians for Constitutional Freedom, they're going to have to come up with a decision about which of those initiatives they're going to circulate, and they need to make a decision pretty quickly because, mm-hmm. as uh, Schwar said, the timeline is, is short. It, they have to turn in the signatures by May. Now, the other timing aspect is when voters might vote. When might that be in the last 30 seconds? It, it could either be in August or November. It'll be up to Governor Mike Parson. Um, I think that there is some – push to get these in August to prevent a bump for Democratic turnout. But I think doing that would also render the strategy of trying to increase the constitutional amendment uh, useless, which which has been a, a strategy over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And if it is approved by voters, how soon after that approval could it take effect? It, it would actually take a while because people will have to sue to actually knock some of the prohibitions down. So it could be a while, but I think that those lawsuits will be filed instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Jason Rosenbaum is politics correspondent for St. Louis Public Radio and the host of the Politically Speaking Hour edition of this show. The next edition of that is December 22nd. Jason, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Today's episode was produced by our executive producer, Alex Hoyer. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.